I really would stress, like, find it out what it is that you don't like. Because when you become an owner, you have so many new stresses now on the business side that, like, you don't want to stress about the clinical side. Today, we have Dr. Anthony Adams joining us on our third episode of Tooth Untold Podcast. Dr. Adams is the practice owner of Cornell Dental, and he completed his one-year residency at Miami Valley Hospital. There, he earned a certificate in intravenous sedation and also gained additional skills in complex oral surgery and endodontics. To top it off, he's also a medical officer in the U.S. Army Reserve. Join us as we compare associateship and practice ownership. Let's get to it. And now tell us what's up. Welcome to Tooth Untold Podcast, where we interview exceptional dentists from around the world. In each episode, we probe the mind of a dentist and extract wisdom and knowledge from their experiences. Now here's your host, Kevin Zappa. Would you say it's more stressful in dental school or after? Honestly, I would say that stress gets to be more and, and well, as you get older, I have the belief that everything gets harder and busier in life. So every phase you feel like you're so busy and then you move to that next phase of life and you're like, oh my God, I had it so good back then. Um, but there are different stresses. So like dental school was super stressful. You know, it's, um, you don't get a lot of sleep. You've got a lot of pressure on grades. You want to be great. You're still trying to figure out who and what you want to be and who you are as a clinician. So I would say that they're different stresses, but definitely you're much busier when you become a practice owner. Now, as a practice owner, what are the different type of stressors that you encounter on a day-to-day -day basis? Oh man, you know, the, the one thing that I had always heard and found to be so true now is that you're, you deal so much with HR. So just commute like with communication with your team and with people is, is by far the hardest stressors. But then at the same time, um, you know, with your patients, you, you have a little bit more added stress because now you are the face of your own practice and every interaction, it just feels so much different than when I was an associate. And it means so much more to me because now I'm like, this is my office and I don't want people to go and have a bad experience and then talk about that in the community. Whereas when I was an associate, it was more like, well, if you have a bad experience, well, I'm sorry. You know, so <laughs> yeah, for sure. You wouldn't want to have a bad reputation as a practice owner, right? So now moving on to my next question. Should new grads be an associate first to gain their clinical experience? Or should they go straight into buying a private practice right away? Man, that's a great question. When So I've always been, personally, I've always been very business oriented. And so I always thought that I would be ready to go swinging for the fences as soon as I graduated and that I could easily have been a practice owner when I graduated. Um, I didn't, however, because my wife was still in dental school and we moved because she decided to specialize. Um, so we were jumping around three years after I graduated and um, it didn't end up working out for me until like this year. But what I would say is that 
I would, I would definitely recommend that people wait at least two years. And the reason for that is because when you first graduate, you like what you do when you're treating patients in school and what you do when you're treating patients on the outside are very different things because now you have like a timeline and you have a person who can, um, you know, that's, you, you have to worry about money and finances and all these other things. So you, when you're an associate, I say, focus on the clinical skills, get this clinical skills down. And then the next part is like, focus on leading your team. This is your training wheels to be like a leader, a team leader. And then once you've got that down, then you can start thinking about ownership. But I would, I would say a minimum of two years. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad that you brought that up. I was actually thinking about roughly two to three years also of trying to master my clinical skills. And then once I've got that down, then I'd open up a private practice. Totally. And, and you know, it's like part of it is like it's on somebody else's dime, ultimately. You know, it's not not your money. So like the great part is that you can, you know, you can try different materials if they're willing to let you do that. Um, you can try different procedures um, and decide what it is that you're good at and what you're not good at. So you don't have, you don't have that stress of like, oh my God, if I do something wrong, this is going to affect me in the long haul. <laughs> you know, like I feel bad saying that for like the owners that you work for, but that's really, that's really how it is. It's the truth. Yeah, unfortunately, that's the reality. Now, moving on, are there any procedures as a practice owner that you don't necessarily like doing? That's a great question. So that's that, that part of that two, maybe even three year associateship trial is when you like really would stress, like find it out what it is that you don't like. Because when you become an owner, you have so many new stresses now on the business side that like you don't want to stress about the clinical side you want that side to be pretty smooth right because now you have new stress that you have to focus on and new things to learn so as an owner um if there's one thing that i'd say i hate it's it's endo sorry to all the people who <laughs> like root canals and, and want to be a specialist kudos to you um, but that's just me personally <laughs> Yeah, just about a week ago, we were doing obturation of molars. And honestly, like it was a pain in the ass. And I walked out of that feeling like I did deadlifts the entire day. Oh my God, man. Yeah. You, you know, you got to, you have to contort yourself more, like, especially when you do molar endos, you got to reach all the way back in this tiny mouth. Like there's more than one canal. Some of them are hiding from you. Like not, it's, it's not that fun. Not, not. <laughs> but you know what like what i will say though is if there's two sides to this so like as a practice owner you want to do as much as you possibly can because from a profitability standpoint i this is my belief and i know that some people don't share the same belief but from a profitability standpoint the more that you're able to keep in the house and not have to refer out the better for your, your your overall numbers. So you'll produce more. Obviously you want to do that with um, precision and, and give the best care possible. So you don't want to keep things in that you should refer. 
Um, so the upside I feel like in dentistry is that we have the opportunity to take CEs to make ourselves stronger in those areas that we feel weaker so that you can keep those things in the, in your office. So if you do want to keep stuff as a practice owner and do as much as possible and keep as much variety as possible, you take those continuing education courses and you can keep those things in the house. But at the same time, if you're like, you know what, I just can't, this is too stressful for me, then that's the best part is you don't have to do it. Just refer it out. Yeah, exactly. Why make things harder for yourself, right? But on a profitability standpoint, for sure, you'd want to keep as many cases in-house. Now we've got a million dollar question over here. So do you ever find your vision as a businessman conflicting with your vision as a dentist? That's a very good question. You have to keep yourself in check. Yeah, there's there's definitely an ethics like there's a, there's a gray area more than anything. It's not it's not a hard line that we think it is in dental school, like where, you know, clinics and business are completely separated. There are things that you want to do as a business person to say, take advantage of a patient's insurance. Um, and saying taking advantage sounds bad, but like you're trying to utilize their insurance to maximize the appointment. Um, but then sometimes you just have, you know, if it's not in the best interest of the patient, you have to try and keep that in the front of your mind. So I, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense or if that's clear, but there's definitely like a, there's definitely a gray area. And I find that a lot of dentists in the community will definitely do things for business reasons more than for the patient's best interest. So I think that once you start, not even just as a business owner, but as an associate, and you start to see that your paycheck is connected to what you do, like production wise, those, those boundaries start to get a little bit more fuzzy and gray. So I try to encourage everybody, try to remember that your patient's best interest is the most important thing. And that um, gray area becomes a little bit easier to navigate. Yeah, for sure. Definitely can't go wrong with keeping the patient's best interests in mind. Now, let's be honest, seeing the dentist isn't cheap at all. So knowing that you're the doctor and the practice owner, do you get a lot of patients that ask for discounts? Oh man. So that's probably one of the toughest things about business ownership. Like I, I've had more people talk to me about discounts than I did as an associate because they know that I have control of it. Right. And so you get like, I'll, I'll, for example, I'll do the treatment presentation and I'll be like, this is what I think you need. Um, if you have any clinical questions, ask them now, if not, I'm going to have my treatment coordinator come in and we'll take care of getting you um, an appointment. And then I'll leave and the patient will ask the assistant like, oh, about prices and then be like, oh, well, I want to talk to the doctor again. And every time I, you know, like it really just makes me nervous because I know I'm going to have to go back in there and talk to them more now about like, oh, you know, like why they can or can't have a discount. So back to your original question. Um, it's tough to handle. I mean, I think that it depends on what you want to be as a business owner. 
So if you want to be a business owner who's focused on quantity versus quality, then you're going to be okay maybe with discounting as many people as you can to get them to, to accept treatment and, and get things done. On the other side, if you want to be more about like quality, then you don't want to bring your fees down because you're probably using the best materials. You're attending the best CEs. You have your full heart in their treatment. And so you're, you're giving the best quality and energy and time that you can. So your appointments are maybe a little longer than somebody who's focused on quantity. So for me, I'm on the, I'm on the quality side of that, that line. And so I, I, I very rarely will discount um, treatment for patients because I want them to see that like, I stand by how much I believe that my procedures are worth. And I don't want them to see it as like, as cheap or a commodity, you know, like, like something else. Like, I don't feel like dental is something that you can just haggle like it's a market. <laughs> and, and sometimes patients get that impression with dentistry because dentists get kind of scared or soft when they get into that environment. So yeah, I, I, do, I don't believe that anybody should discount their treatment and I don't do it often. Sometimes I will, but no, not all the time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I'm realizing it now as a dental student, the amount of time, effort, and knowledge that you need to put in to deliver the proper treatment. Yeah, it's, it's tough to have people understand that. And that's where it's like, they need to know that like, listen, I'm going to give you the best quality treatment that you can possibly get. And I believe that I'm better than the guy next door or the gal down the street and that I care more about you. So you're free to see if somebody else will give you a discount. You're free to walk out the door and get a second opinion. But if you want good quality treatment that you can trust from me that I'll warranty, you're going to have to pay my fees. Yeah, and that's fair. Like it all boils down to the time and knowledge of the dentist, right? Yeah, yep, totally. I mean, it, like you said, it, it goes back to your time and knowledge. And um, I just feel like we cheapen it. We cheapen our industry and we make ourselves look like salesmen when we start talking about discounts. I, I oftentimes will tell my assistants now like, like, listen, if they want to talk about discounts, just tell them that there's not, I'm not offering a discount. If that's really where their heart is set. Um, every now and again, you'll get somebody who's like, for example, I had a 22 year old who came in and mouthful of cavities. Um, nobody ever talked to her about oral hygiene. Probably going to lose a few molars if um, she couldn't find the money to pay for stuff. So that's an instance where I'm like, you know what, out of charity and, you know, from the goodness of my heart, I want to help this person. So definitely I'll give that person a discount. But if like you drive and I see in the parking lot, you've got a convertible drop top and you're talking to me about discounts and I know you work and own your own business. No, <laughs> like, get out of my office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I've seen, you know, patients wearing Rolex and their LVs walking into the office and asking for a 50% off on the root canal treatment for the molar. Like, like, nah. <laughs> now, this brings me to my next question. 
Now, has there ever been a time where you did your very best to give the best possible result for the patient, but at the end of the day, the patient still wasn't happy with what they got? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I had one instance and I felt really bad because I, we delivered, I delivered the best result that she could possibly get from like a clinical side, like everything was done where it's going to last 20 years, 30 years. Um, so we executed the clinical side, but it's still a huge failure if the patient feels that way at the end of treatment. And unfortunately, you know, this lady, um, you know, she looked in the mirror and she just was not happy with the color and the shape. And I felt like I had failed in that instance. Um, so I think that it's really important, especially in today's um, industry and in modern dentistry to use wax ups, especially digital wax ups. Um, and, and now what you can do is you can scan a patient's mouth um, with a 3D scanner and then you can merge it with photos. And so you send this to the lab and they will put together a mock-up of what their teeth should look like at the end of treatment. And I think it's important now when you're gonna do cosmetic work that that be done with every single case. You know, and if you don't have the capability to do a scanner, then you should at the very least do uh, an analog wax up and let the patient see, um, you know, what it will look like at the end before they agree to doing the treatment. Um, and I've done that with every case since I've ever since then, you know, I felt burned, the patient felt burned. We went through this long avenue together. Um, and, and it was a disappointing result. Yeah, definitely. I could see how frustrating that could be on both ends. Now, in these instances, how do you, how do you deal with it? Yeah. I mean, so there's two things you could do in that situation. So the next thing that you would do, if you didn't already do this, right, which I hadn't, is there are catalogs that show different shapes of teeth, right? Just like our denture setups. And the catalogs will show you the different shapes and sizes. So you can show your patient like what in this catalog is um, how, like what, which of these teeth sets do you think look nice? And what do you want your teeth to look like? And then once they pick, then you could just, you know, you would just redo it for the patient for free. You'd have to eat it. In my opinion, at the end of the day, like, if a patient leaves you a bad review because they think you're now a bad dentist because you can't deliver results, but you charge a lot of money, that looks way worse than eating the lab fee for redoing it. And then the patient's super happy at the end. Now, if the patient is super happy at the end, yeah, you ended up paying another potentially like, you know, some, some veneers will be $500 a unit you may pay another $500 per unit, you know, that's $3,000 maybe, or if you're doing eight teeth more. Um, but that patient may refer you more cosmetic cases at the end of the day, right? So a lot of the time they're older women um, that just want to take care of themselves now. And they have a group of friends that are going to be like, Oh my God, you know, Karen, your teeth look beautiful. 
<laughs> and Karen's like, oh my God, yeah, like I, I love my teeth. And they explain their story and they're like, you know, Dr. Kevin, like he took all the, you know, amount, uh, attention and detail as possible. And he, you know, I didn't like him at first, but he redid re them for free and I love them. And you should see him. And then boom, you know, they'll follow. So, but if you didn't do that, then now they're going to talk about why their teeth look bad and you're the one who did it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. My reputation is going to be over if that happened. But yeah, and that's definitely going to be really awkward if you see them around the community. There are times where like I go to the grocery store and I see my patients. Like imagine if you have to keep passing that patient, you know? <laughs> definitely going to be very awkward. <laughs> Now, I think this is one of the questions that most people really want to hear. Um, so if you don't mind me asking, is there really a big gap in the salary between an associate dentist and the doctor practice owner? That's a very good question. And the answer to that is yes. Um, kind of how I outline the math in my story. You get paid as an associate, maybe 30% of collections is industry standard. And what I'm seeing actually in the US is in some competitive areas, they're trying to lessen the pay for associates. And sadly, students are agreeing to it because they don't know any better. But um, you're taking a percentage, which means that the doctor owner is taking the rest of that percentage of your collections, right? If you're only getting 30%, who gets the rest of it? The owner. And they should, because as the owner, you're like furnishing equipment and you, maybe you pay for CE and you pay for their health insurance. And if you're a good owner, you'll mentor your associates. That doesn't happen often, by the way. Um, but then as, at the same time, as an owner, you, or as the owner, you get the money from the hygiene department too. So you don't just like as an associate, you just get what you produce and that's, that's it. As an owner, you take home from hygiene as well. If you have a really robust hygiene department as an owner, like for example, if you've got two or three hygienists that work with you, you get all of the income that comes from the hygiene department. Like a hygienist will probably only account for 30% of what they produce. For example, if they produce $250,000 in your office, they'll take 30% of that as pay. Maybe, I don't know, 10% of that goes to their material costs. And then the rest of that is your profit, which goes on top of your doctor's production, right? So as an associate, I would say in the US, an associate will probably average 150 to 220 thousand as an associate in the u.s as the doctor owner you can i've seen anywhere from around 300 to as high as 700,000 as the owner i i knew an owner that i worked for in san diego california he he netted a million dollars wow that that dentist is definitely balling so anyways good thing you brought up your stories on Instagram because there was a story that really stuck to me, which was the patient who forgot to mention that they were on Coumadin. After their tooth extraction, they've noticed that they had um, they had excessive bleeding on the tooth socket, and 
something like this would definitely be a nightmare for me if my patient called me like that. So how do you stay calm and collected in these instances? That's such a good question. I think um, that's the other thing that you have to worry about. And as an associate now is you can't fall back on faculty. Like this is, this is your patient and, and how this outcome turns out will fall a hundred percent on you. Um, so you just have to, you just have to stay calm. Like think about everything that you've been taught, everything in school, they're going to pretty much give you all the basic tools that you need. Um, you have to stay calm. And you also have to reassure your patient that everything is going to be okay. Because when you're going through a complication, if they can sense that you are scared or they realize that you realize that things are going wrong, um, that's when things start to really head south fast. So in those situations, you just have to like stay calm, go through a protocol. You typically will have some kind of protocol depending on the procedure and try to make the patient comfortable. So, um, you know, comfortable can be prescriptions, making sure that they get the right prescription. Comfortable can be kind of easing the, their anxiety by giving them your personal cell phone number and making sure that they know they can call you. Making sure to check in with them every couple hours, if not every day. And then lastly, you know, if you have access and keys to the office and you and you really think like that patient, for example, um, needs, needs to be seen and then go in, take care of the patient. Because I think ultimately, like if you, if you handle the case, well, the patient will be fine. They're not going to be upset with you. Now, what if the patient calls at like 3am? What would you do then? 3am? I wouldn't personally do it. I would probably like, and maybe that sounds bad, depending on the scenario, I'd probably tell them to go to the emergency room if they feel like they're in that much pain. Um, I have a friend, if we're still kind of talking business, um, who will see patients that late, but he charges them extra and they have to pay cash up front. And I think that's important because like, you know, if you're going to take the time, especially if they're not a patient of record to see them and, um, and help them that you be sure that you're paid to come in and do that unless you like just doing charity all the time. That's okay too. Going back to that other patient who forgot to mention uh, that they were taking Coumadin. So what was the end result at the end of that? It's tough because like, you know, in that situation, my gut was like, why didn't I dig deeper into his medical history? What could I have done better during the um, pre-patient interview before we started, like the pre-op? Should I tell this patient that he's a, he's a screw up for not telling, you know, telling me like, what the heck is wrong with you? Now we're both in going to be in deep shit, you know, like, or, uh, or do you just like say, Hey, you know what? Like, which, what I, this is what I did do. It's just like mistakes happen. Um, that was a really important piece of information, but we're going to get you taken care of. I'll do whatever it takes. Now, last but not least, are there any last pieces of advice that you'd like to give to our aspiring dental students? I would say just while you're in school, put your head down, focus on your work. Um, the fun will come when you're, you know, when you're outside of work and you've graduated. So Put your head down, focus, figure out what it is that you like and take every opportunity that you can 
Like if I could go back, there's more opportunities that I had had that I didn't take. I would say like, take them all that come your way. Like you're going to be tired, more tired because you're taking on more, but I think you're going to know more about yourself as a clinician when you graduate than if you don't. So if you can, like, if there are specialties that you're interested in, go to that department or um, try to ask if there are private practice doctors that will let you come to their office and, and take a look or dig deeper into your faculty's lives outside of the clinic. Um, or maybe just practice more, you know, because the more that you practice on a mannequin, the better, no matter what, you're going to be better than when you see the patient technically, like your technical skills will be better. So just take every opportunity that comes your way. A big round of applause for Dr. Adams for sharing his insights on practice ownership. Thanks for joining us today on Tooth Untold Podcast. Do not quit. Remember why you started. Stay safe and have a great weekend and see you next Friday.